If you have your Bible with you, today uh, I want to open it up to Jeremiah chapter 13, verses 1 through 11, actually. I wrote the wrong number down in my sermon. That's kind of funny. But uh, yeah, unless you are the world's, as you're, as you're getting your Bibles ready, uh, I just want to share a few things about communication. It's kind of funny, you know, a communicator communicating about communication. I think people have big seminars all about how to communicate more effectively when you're communicating stuff about communication. Wow, that was redundant. But unless you are the world's best communicator, and maybe even then, you probably have had a moment or two where you've tried to communicate something to another person or group, and they just don't seem to get it, right? You've been there. No logic or reasoning will help them get there. You've tried. You can lay out all the facts, all the figures, bring up a pie chart, if you will, (laughs) and they just won't understand. I feel like this happens to me a lot. Uh, You see, when I'm at work at the grocery store, sometimes we'll have, uh, be speaking two different languages, it feels like. Uh, The other day, I was trying to help a customer find a product. And uh, I just couldn't picture what he was asking me for. We both pulled up our smartphones. Eventually, we started thinking, oh, let's, we must not be speaking the same language, so let's use images, right? And so uh, he had said some things, so I started searching, and I said, no, is this what you're talking about? No, I wish I'd never said that out loud. And, uh, and he, he started searching, but when I realized we didn't have what he needed, and he realized it too, we just kind of parted ways, I couldn't even get him something similar because it was just it wasn't exactly what they wanted. And so even though I never got the full picture of what he was asking for, the other person who was with him, as they walked away, reassured, I know what you're talking about, honey. I, I, I get you. You know, I couldn't understand him, but she could. Communication. Sometimes it's so clear, so just plain that you just can't believe it. Is it really that simple? It can't be just that simple, could it? And other times, messages can leave you with more questions than answers. And it might make you, things like that might make you feel uneasy, uncomfortable, and possibly angry. Oh, what? I don't understand that. I think that's why visuals are so helpful to communicating messages. You know, they they help telling stories that they not only get the facts right, because that's important, get all the facts right, but they also get the tone right. The tone, the feeling behind it. The real feeling behind the words that speak not to our heads, but to our souls. Today, and for the next couple weeks, our messages will be sermon in a sack style, if you will. Um... I have an item hidden in the sack that relates to our message at hand. And you won't get to see it until partway through the message where I'll open up the bag and the mystery will be revealed. So today, let's look at Jeremiah 13, 1 through 11. See, God begins giving Jeremiah special instructions concerning the messages that he would present to the people. God gave him extra care to have Jeremiah use visual aids to get the point across. And we'll find that not only do these people get the message, 
and still have trouble figuring out what he's talking about. But people down through the ages who have read this story struggle with God's choice of visual aids. Follow me here. And they have not gotten the full force of the warnings that we'll hear, the feeling behind it that reaches into a soul and not just head knowledge. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist, but do not let it touch water. So I bought a belt, as the Lord directed, and put it around my waist. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the belt you brought, you bought and are wearing around your waist and go now to Parath and hide it there in a crevice in the rocks. So I went and hid it at Parath, as the Lord told me. Many days later, the Lord said to me, Go now to Parath and get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Parath and dug up the belt and took it from the place where I'd hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their, of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them, will be like this belt, completely useless. For as a belt is bound around a man's waist, so I, I bound the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. But they have not listened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I have over here something you probably would have guessed is in here. Um, I did my best to find what could be described as a linen belt. It's made out of fabric. Um, one of the notes that I, uh, I read could have been made out of uh, several things. Could have been leather. It would have, it, linen wasn't as important. But I have this belt. It's clearly not mine. I asked Jackie if I could borrow one from her, and she found the only one that really fit the bill. So, um, yeah, this cute little belt here. And um, you see, you might just think this, this is just some old piece of cloth, and you'd be right. That's really all a linen belt really is. It's just a long piece of cloth. Perhaps you've seen biblical reenactments. I was really hoping to find just really a long piece of cloth because if you've ever seen an Easter pageant or um, when we, we dress up kids and adults for, um, you know, at, at Christmas time, the nativity scene, and they're in these, these long, giant pillowcases, if you will, and we tie this belt around their waist. Maybe they'll have a sash if you're playing Jesus, of course, you'll need one of those, maybe a head covering, but for sure, um, there'd be like this rope or there'd be some sort of cloth belt that would wrap around there and kind of distinguish them a little bit. Now, as we read the scripture, as I read that, did you picture, did you picture a belt? God has them go buy a belt. It says belt, linen belt. Did you picture that? No. Maybe you did. I don't know. 
Nobody's, you didn't? Sash. You were picturing a sash. Okay, you were picturing a sash. Okay, interesting. What did you picture? You pictured your belt. Oh, very colorful. Cloth. Cloth. I, that probably would have worked out real well. So we had, different, we had different ideas. And I was like, every time I've read this, I thought, oh, that's kind of an interesting little thing. There's always all kinds of things that he had the prophets do. You know, throw a loaf of bread into the, into the water for reasons. You know, I, can you just imagine Jeremiah and, and God, I mean... How, how many people would love to look at this verse and just go, here's the point to this verse. God tells us to go shopping. What? <laughs> yeah, no. God told Jeremiah specifically, go buy stuff. But not just any stuff, right? Not just any stuff. A specific thing. A linen belt. Can you imagine Jeremiah having this conversation with a shopkeeper? Excuse me, shopkeeper. I'd like to purchase a linen belt to go around my waist. That's where linen belts belong, right? Shopkeeper says, well, you're in luck. We've got a wide selection of of linen belts. They absolutely will keep your pants from falling down. If you wore any pants. Because again, we're kind of picturing this tunic thing and the belt's wrapped around there and it kind of holds the person's clothing together. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense if there's not pants to hold up. What's the deal with this belt? I mean, for, for me, when I'd see, when I'd dress up kids in their Easter outfits or their Christmas outfits for, for costumes and stuff, you know, it would be something to distinguish the top half of the, of the outfit from the bottom or for guys to make us not look like we're in a, a dude in a big dress, right? And so having a piece of rope or, or cloth belt around you kind of helps distinguish that difference. Now, in 2 Kings uh, 4.29, Elijah's, um, I almost called him his lackey, that's not right, his apprentice who took over for him after he left, his name is Elisha. Well, Elisha even gets his own apprentice. His apprentice is named Gehazi. Maybe Gehazi was a faster runner than Elisha. I don't know. But in 2 Kings 4.29, there is a passage in here where, he, where Elisha gives Gehazi some very uh, succinct directions concerning his belt and his cloak. It says, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand, and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. This is the context of this is he needs him to go there with the staff to help with the healing of this boy here, right? But anyway, but the whole point to me bringing this up is that he tells him to tuck, tuck in your cloak, into your belt. Uh, I learned a long time ago, I'm the kind of person who um, needs to tuck his shirt into his pants. Um, I, just, I just, just have to now, Right? Um, some people don't do that, and that's fine. But he tells, he tells him to do this, and why? The whole context of his verse is so he doesn't trip up. He needs to get there as quick as possible. The idea is run, 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 and don't get tripped up. You need to tuck your cloak into your belt. But one of the phrases, depending on your Bible translation, might say this. Gird up your loins. Well, that doesn't sound like tuck your, tuck your cloak into your belt. That's a weird expression. Why would somebody say that? Well, where this 
God can make such a big deal about this linen belt with Jeremiah. What was this linen belt all about? Is it the same kind of context that we see here in 2 Kings? I mean, this belt just seems like a standard piece of clothing for a Bible Times guy to wear. I mean, here's the trouble with the linen belt. And, I, and I, this is how I knew I was going to talk about this today because it kind of blew my mind when I stumbled across it. The trouble with the linen belt is that it's not likely actually a belt. I know when people tell me this, I really like to, am taken aback and go, okay, I think you're talking from the devil right now. That's not in my Bible. I'm going to have a problem with that. So I'll give you some evidence as to where I'm going with this here. Because let's just talk about belts. Fashion choices, right? Aside, all fashion choices aside. You have a pretty one. I've got this pretty one. I'm not going to wear it. I've had this leather belt for the longest time. Um, it's just plain black. But what's the point? What's the purpose of a belt? Well, we heard it from the shopkeeper earlier. It's to keep your pants up, right? Most of the time, sometimes it's just for fashion. But its function is to keep your pants up. Well, excuse me for being a bit more embarrassing and going a little bit further here. But why is it important that your pants stay up? (laughs) Okay, can I just be a little bit more embarrassing? Well, your pants cover you, right? In places that are not meant for everyone to see. This may be obvious, but I still feel like in the context of our story today, it needs to be said. And you know, even then, it wouldn't be that big of a deal if that person was wearing some sort of undergarment, right? So here's the kicker. Some older translations of the Bible and including uh, the commentary that I used, um, the uh, New Beacon Bible Commentary, on Jeremiah, what they do is in certain areas, and it's even denoted in there, um, they'll go back to the original Hebrew, if it's Old Testament, Greek, if it's New Testament, and the translator, the author of that section will actually look at it themselves. They won't just take the NIV to, for starters or the KJV. They won't just start there. They will go back to the Hebrew Bible, and they will translate it because they are scholars in that, and they're able to do that. And What they found is that there's more evidence that it's rather than a linen belt wrapped around a person's waist just to be there, it is more than likely something called a loincloth. A loincloth. And you're thinking, a what now? Yeah, a loincloth. Have you ever seen a person in a loincloth before? Hopefully not, or at least not too many times. (laughs) Most appropriate pop culture references that I could have think of to help us relate to it. Um, If you've ever seen Disney's old cartoon, The Jungle Book, I actually have a picture of Mowgli right there in the bulletin. Um, And then also maybe Tarzan. It's this piece of cloth that wraps around one's loins. And there's a reason you don't just see people running around in loincloths, right? Functionally, they are underwear. Okay? I'm just going to be just nail it on the head today. And, um, and that's why you don't see people just running around, hopefully, with that. Now, pastor, you're telling me that it wasn't a belt that God commanded Jeremiah to buy but to put and put on and never wash it, 
But actually, Bible Times underwear? Yeah, that's what I believe Scripture is leading us to understand a little bit better. I even looked it up in the KJV, by the way, and it does say loincloth there. Um, You see, you could feel free to think about it, though, as a belt. I'm not going to stop you. I just don't think that you're going to get the depth of imagery if you stop with just this piece of fabric that that just kind of holds up your pants a little bit. All right? So, what's so special about this loincloth? Because, of course, you know, who doesn't want to hear about this? (laughs) First of all, this linen loincloth was there for modesty. We've kind of talked about this a little bit. It keeps everything hidden that's not supposed to be, you know, on display, so to speak. The thing that is, the thing is about modesty is that it was a big problem for Judah, for Israel, as they worshiped on hills at Asherah poles. Their form of worship was intimate in nature and put on display for all to see. So wearing this item would keep them from embarrassment and shame. This, this, this metaphor here about their lack of modesty and their worship of gods that are not Yahweh. And so for Jeremiah to wear this was a form of modesty. It would keep from embarrassment. You know, it would keep somebody from being embarrassed if they had it on. If by chance one's tunic accidentally gets blown up by the wind, if you get my drift. Also, it seems that not everyone wore loincloths. They were actually part, though, specifically of the priestly attire, which makes sense for Jeremiah, right? Because back actually in Exodus 28, 42 through 43, it says, Make linen undergarments as a covering for the body, reaching from the waist to the thigh. Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister uh, in the holy place, so that they will not incur guilt and die. This has got to be the most uncomfortable object lesson known to man today. Am I right? I think I'm right. Okay. I make everybody else uncomfortable. The New Beacon Bible Commentary, I was reading out of it, not only is talking about it as these undergarments, but if you think about the function besides modesty, there isn't much more close to your body than your undergarments, right? Well, the idea here is this intimate closeness with God. God talks about um, being wrapped with this cloth, this cloth as the pride of Judah and Jerusalem, and that he'd bind them to himself later on in the, in the verses. And this is a way for Jeremiah to understand the closeness between God and his people, or his desired closeness anyway. It also, it awkwardly also represents the kind of closeness that a husband and a wife would know, right? It hearkens to a bride and a groom kind of concept where God is the groom and the people are the bride. I mean, I know. The kiddos these days would call it super cringe to even consider talking about this. But perhaps that's why it's interesting. Nobody wants to go to the weird places in Scripture, which we are in weird territory, by the way, if you weren't sure. But we just like our nice, safe story about Jeremiah buying a belt. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense in context, but at least it doesn't make too many people uncomfortable. 
There's one thing about the loincloth that really stands out, so to speak. It's that it's new and clean at the start. But it's not that way forever. I mean, have you ever heard of the expression, or perhaps your mother said this, make sure that you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. Now, I have never understood the concept of why that was important. I'm pretty sure I never was needed to be told that, by the way. But how does that stop you from being in an accident or save your life? I don't know. But that expression's out there, and I thought about that in relation to this. Jeremiah was to wear it until God told him to go bury it in Parath. So think about that. He was supposed to wear it until God said otherwise. Not, hey, change your loincloth every three days. Just whenever I tell you is when you're going to, change, when you're going to stop wearing that. Um, and so he wasn't supposed to get it wet or dip it into water. <sighs> Think about what that means. It means that there were no, there's no spin cycle at the laundromat for his tidy whities Not at all. We don't know how long it was before God told Jeremiah to head to Parath, but it wasn't likely simultaneous with his first directions. It wasn't go buy it, put it on, and then go to Parath. No, it was go buy it, put it on. Here's my second message. Go to Parath. And then bury it was his next directions. And so Jeremiah goes and does what God tells him to do. He goes and takes that loincloth and he buries it until God tells him to come back many days later. Just for some context, Parath um, is a lot of times translated as Euphrates. The idea is that there's this river. I'm picturing the rocks along the side of the riverbed. I'm not really sure if that's the right imagery, but if you want to go there, I mean, there's a lot of decay that can happen. And so he's talking about burying, but you can bury under rocks. So it could be either way. But regardless, in verse 7... In the English Standard Version, it reads, Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I found the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it. And behold, the loincloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. Good for nothing. It was ruined and good for nothing. God's not a pack rat, folks, okay? You might know these types of people. You might be this type of person, who keeps things around way past when it needs to be gotten rid of. Um, We have towels in our house that we don't use for showers or going to the beach or anything like that. Um, We keep them underneath our sinks, bathroom sink and kitchen sink. In case there's a spill, we drop a bunch of water or something, we need to soak it up. We don't have a mop bucket, okay? So we deal with, but we keep these towels around just for that purpose. God's not going to keep this loincloth around. It is ruined and good for nothing. It's not good for cleaning up the floor. I don't know that you'd want to, but it's not good for that. There was, a, there was an extra level of decay that the commentary uh, writes about it having mold and grossness. You just go there and it's, it's disgusting, right? It's good for nothing. It's ruined. Now, Where's God heading with all this, right? You've got to wonder. Jeremiah might be scratching his head. He might have already guessed where God was going. So God begins to land the plane. How do you know? God's, Matt, what are you talking about? God's flying a plane. Let me explain. So I had this pastor friend. um, He was one of my senior pastors. And he talked about 
how when you're in a sermon, you're writing a sermon, you're presenting one, sometimes uh, you need to land the plane. It's what we do at the very end when you're trying to bring it to a conclusion. And we're trying to draw everything that we've presented earlier into how we're going to apply it or what God is saying in the end or something like that. And so I, I'm picturing, I'm talking about a sermon itself in, in this sense that God is giving Jeremiah. And so God begins to land the plane. And so what do you need to do before you take off and before you land? You need to do um, some checks. You need to do some, uh, some pre-landing checks. But before we, we get to those, because I have a few of them, God's, God wants to make it clear to Jeremiah, you want to know why I had you buy a loincloth, wear it, take it off, bury it, and then dig it back up again? Do you really want to know? I'm going to tell you. Here it is in the ESV. It says, thus says the Lord. This is verses 9 through 11. Even so, I will spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem, this evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. So if we're landing the plane here, if God's landing the plane, here's the pre-landing checks. First thing, God desired relationship. He desired an intimate relationship, closeness with his people. He made them to cling to him. His intention was that they would cling to him, but they would not listen. See, they got free will and they would not listen. They wouldn't hear God's words. In fact, several chapters later, my family's actually going through Jeremiah. It's what also kind of tipped me off to uh, this particular chapter. But several chapters later in chapter 20, we find a priest who doesn't like what Jeremiah is saying. And so... What does he get out? He gets online and he, he tells all his friends about how bad Jeremiah is. No. This priest, this highly re, um, celebrated person of the cloth, physically beats Jeremiah and then locks him in the stocks in the temple area. Apparently there were stocks there. And, uh, and Jeremiah says a whole bunch of stuff to him after he gets let out. But you can read that in Jeremiah chapter 20 for yourself. So God's desire was this intimate closeness, like this cloth clinging to a man. They wouldn't listen. They couldn't have that close relationship. Because why? Second thing, they stubbornly followed their own hearts. They might say, I want what is best for me. You may have heard the expression, the heart wants what the heart wants. That's what's going to get you out of relationship with God and all by yourself. Stubbornly followed their own hearts. And they served and worshiped other gods. And this goes back to the modesty thing I said earlier. Asherah was a fertility goddess. 
and was worshipped throughout certain activities that would not be considered rated G, if you get my drift. Much earlier, Jeremiah 2.20, it says, Long ago you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds. And this is God saying them what they've done. And you said, I will not serve you. I will not serve you, God. The next verse says this. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. This is the serving and worship of other gods. This is immodesty of the people. This is God calling them out on it. So God desired an intimate closeness with his people. These people were stubborn in heart. They served and worshiped other gods. But what are they going to do about it? Well, Jeremiah knew, God knew, and God knows that it's important when communicating to use imagery to be very clear. Simple words that get that message across. It'll help. Now, through Jeremiah, God did that. Many different images that we will talk about here in the next couple weeks. But I want to read what the uh, commentary I referenced earlier said about this. He said, God called Israel to be a people who would reveal his name, his character, and power. Reveal his name, his character, and his power to the world. Israel was to be the object of Yahweh's praise and glory. Israel ruined itself and became useless to Yahweh by their habitual rejection of his voice. It no longer clings to Yahweh in a covenant relationship. So how do we stay clean and useful? By listening and accepting his voice. By listening and accepting his voice. We can be in such a close relationship to him. Maybe you had somebody or have somebody like this that's so sweet in your life. We can be so close to him that he can just lean over just a little bit and give us a kiss on the forehead. What are you personally hearing from God these days? My final questions to you. And I want you to think about this. I want you to maybe have a chance to write it down in the bulletin today. What are you personally hearing from God these days? What directions, instructions of inspiration is he speaking to you? I think it's so important that we do this, that we write it down or we say it out loud or we do both. Our human memory is so faulty. Did God really say that? I think Satan kind of, kind of tweaks us a little bit and kind of makes us doubt ourselves that God actually spoke to us about something. But when we write it down or we say it out loud in front of somebody else, it has happened. It is part of history. That's why people write their diaries in the moment and they don't wait years before writing a moment that happened before. So today I want to challenge you to do something. Write down on the, on the lines provided in the bulletin, what are you hearing from God these days? 
What's specific to you? What directions or instructions, inspiration is he speaking to you? Maybe it's just one word and that's okay. Maybe it's a whole sentence. Secondly, if you aren't hearing anything from him right now, are you open to listening? And you can nod and you can think, yes, I am. I want you to take it a step further. If you are open to listening to him, if you have a pen or paint, pencil or something, I can get you a pen or later, you can take this home. I write it on the line. I am open to listening. Got the date on the front of the bulletin so you know when you wrote this down, by the way. If you're open to listening to God, I want to suggest you either say that out loud to somebody or write it down today. Maybe you need time to think about it. But the problem that Israel had, they were so preoccupied by serving other gods. They were so preoccupied by what their heart wanted. They weren't interested in listening to God. Even when he used Jeremiah to bring such an in-their-face object lesson. Let's be useful and clean. Let's listen and accept his voice today. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bring our whole lives before you. I pray for my brothers and sisters today. I ask that you would touch us and help us to hear your voice in our life. What is it that you're calling us to continue doing? How can we continue to do your work? What is it that we haven't started or maybe we've put off that we need to do and you've called us to that? What is it that we've never even thought of or even considered? And you're saying to us today, here's where you're headed. Let's go that direction. I wanna be close to you So listen to my voice. Accept my words, God says to us today. We thank you, God, for your words. They are life to our soul. In your name we pray, amen. You're dismissed. Go in peace.